Gavin Mondro here. Coach Dro, the head women's basketball coach at Cleary University. Welcome back to the Tell Me Your Story Coach podcast. The podcast where we advocate coaches and help young coaches learn from the coaches telling these stories. Today we are talking to Coach Steve Hawkins. Coach Hawkins is currently the head coach at Quincy University. And this is Coach Hawkins' second tenure as the head coach of this incredible Division II basketball program. Many people know Coach Steve Hawkins simply as Coach Hawk. Coach Hawk is returning to Quincy after an amazing run as the head basketball coach at Western Michigan University. As a matter of fact, Coach Hawk was the head coach of the Broncos from 2003 to 2020. And during Coach Hawk's tenure at Western Michigan, Coach Hawk led his team to 291 wins. Coach Hawkins also led the Broncos to seven 20-win seasons and made two appearances in the NCAA Division I basketball tournament. Born and raised in California, Coach Hawk graduated from the University of Southern Alabama. As stated, Coach Hawk was the head men's basketball coach at Quincy from 1990 to 2000. In his first tenure at Quincy, Coach Hawk led his team to 137 wins and three NCAA Division II tournament appearances. As you soon will hear, Coach Hawk is simply a tremendous leader. His thoughts on creating real relationships with his players and his staff is a must listen. Finally, at the end of this podcast, Coach Hawk will passionately discuss his thoughts on balance and loyalty. If you are a young coach, get your notebooks ready. Subscribe, rate, and review on whatever platform that you are currently listening. Remember, we are everywhere. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, and so much more. Please keep telling your coaching friends about this podcast. The bigger audience we can create, the bigger impact we can make with younger coaches. Follow Tell Me Your Story Coach on Instagram at Tell Me Your Story Coach. Follow Tell Me Your Story Coach on Twitter at Coach Kevin Dro. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Kevin Mondro. Enough of Coach Dro. Let's get to Coach Steve Hawkins and share his story. Coach Hawk, why do you coach? <laughs> oh, my. Uh, you know, that's a loaded question, Dro. First of all, appreciate you having me. I think the biggest thing, it, it's kind of all-encompassing, but I think it's more of a calling than it is anything else especially after spending the last couple of years out of the college game. You know, last year I helped out with the high school. But, you know, I think that it's not a vocation. It's not a job. You know, it's just something that you're kind of called to do. And, you know, for me, there's nothing that really where you can get all of the things that, you know, you might be addicted to. The adrenaline of a game day, the power that you have the responsibility that comes with a young person coming up to you and saying, hey, coach, you got a second. I need to talk. There are so many moments of humility as well as the require humility and that keep you grounded. And then there are so many highs and lows uh, as well that goes with the competition uh, of it all. And so when you put it all in one big bucket, I just don't know that there's another vocation that can be as rewarding uh, as this one. So we're we're almost approaching 20 years of knowing each other. Your journey is well documented. You also had a podcast and if people listen, you know, they'll hear your story. It's amazing story. But this idea of a calling, Hawk, when do you think you really knew you wanted to be a coach? I was very fortunate, Joe. It was a long, long time ago. I was in ninth grade, believe it or not, at Cabrillo Junior High School in Ventura, California. And I was what they called a PE assistant, but it was, was a way to give kids that were decent athletes, you know, a free period of A with the two phys ed teachers. And so, and you just kind of help them all day long. Well, anyway, one day as I was helping these guys out, my PE teachers out, I watched them just kind of go through their day. And I was like, you know what? I could do this. They wear, again, it's Southern California. It's like, uh, these dudes wear 
shorts and a t-shirt every day to work. You know, they're around sports every day. This seems like it'd be pretty cool. And all I really wanted to do, I just wanted to teach phys ed and be a coach. You know, I didn't know what sport at that point in time, anything along those lines. It was just through the years that all the rest of it developed. But I knew then that I wanted to be I felt like it started with, I knew I had to have sports in my life. Even in ninth grade, I couldn't picture doing anything else. And so it just sort of developed through the years, you know, into what it is now. I was either going to be a football coach or a basketball coach. You know, I did both for a while. And when I was going to junior college out there, they were on the basketball side is where the break sort of happened. And then, of course, working coach Wooden's camps and then that got me in a whole different set of doors. But yeah, the breaks happened on the basketball side. And, and I realized after I got a little taste of it, the coaching part, then I knew this was absolutely what I wanted to do. I can't even imagine in the ninth grade how many Dodgers games that you watched that year. Well, probably about as many as I watched last year, which is damn near all of ninth grade. It wasn't, you know what, though? It was senior year. It wasn't my senior year. It was the year. It was my freshman year of the junior college. Me and I had a bunch of buddies. I was really fortunate to grow up in a great neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Had 10 of us that were all within a year or two of each other in age. And that year, I caught 37 Dodger games in person. Wow. And uh, we used to pile, gonna, now I'm going to age myself, but we used to pile six of us in a car. Each of us would chip in a buck for gas. Mm. So $6 of gas was plenty to get you to, to L.A. and back. And, and uh, you know, go sit in the left field pavilion at Dodger Stadium. Tickets were 2 bucks each. The Dodger dogs were $2 each. So mm-hmm. that would be two or three of those. Bag of peanuts was 2 bucks. Pepsi was 2 bucks. Yeah, it was, it was good times, man. It was good times. Yeah, for sure. So, Coach Hawk, you're the new head coach at Quincy University. You had a great run a few years back. Coach Jim Weitzel, who I worked for at Loyola Chicago, is now the current head coach at Buffalo. He used to rave about the amazing job you did at Quincy in your first tenure, but your second time around. How much does it mean to you, Coach, that you're the head coach again at Quincy? You know, this is really interesting timing, Joe, because as we record this, we have our first home game. Mm-hmm. tomorrow night on a Wednesday night and so it's going to be really strange I think it's going to be emotional for me to walk back out on the court again you know I was head coach here for nine years I had spent a total of 11 here as well the place means a lot to me you know the program meant a lot to me we built it once the first time around in the first year we won six ball games or seven ball games whatever it was you know then we eventually ended up making it to the NCAA tournament a few times uh, before I headed out to Western Michigan. But the place, you know, the city has always meant a lot to me. The place, the university has always meant a lot to me. It's a basketball crazy community and uh, it's fun to be back in it. There's a lot of excitement. I think it really means a lot. I think it's going to be the people have have already been so welcoming. The second time around, I think it's going to be an emotional roller coaster here through the first year and and going through all the first all over again. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun. So you are closing in on almost 430 wins as a head coach. You mentioned a few NCAA tournaments the first time around, five NCAA tourneys, if I have it correct, as a head coach. So much success. But one of the things I truly, truly admire about you, I just think that your players love playing for you. How do you create these incredible relationships as a head coach with your players? 
Wow. Uh, I mean, first of all, thanks for the compliment. And I'm sure you could probably find a few players at least that, that may not have loved playing for me. You know, we do the best we can, you know, as coaches. I know you were the same way. You know, your players loved you. And I think it just begins with being real, uh, you know, just being truthful. I was really fortunate. You know, I mentioned Coach Wooden, but I, I use this a, a lot. I was at a Final Four one year at the NEBC convention, and I was at the Division One head coaches meeting, and I sat down. I was there a little bit early. I sat down. And then the late, great John Thompson, former head coach of Georgetown, yeah. walked in. Coaches are, are mingling, and the room's probably half seated at that point. And Coach Thompson came up, and he sat two chairs away from me. He was by himself. He's a mountain of a man. He can be extremely intimidating to anybody. His reputation is great and at the same time intimidating. And so anyway, I didn't say anything to him, just out of respect. So, you know, really, and then he kind of looked over at me, and I said, hey, coach. And he said, hey, how are you? And we introduced ourselves, and there were a couple of mutual people that we knew. And anyway, we started having a conversation about coaching in general. We went through this exact same thing. The question that you just asked me, I kind of, in a different way, asked him the same thing about coaches and relationships with players. He said, you know, it's really simple. You just got to be honest. If you're honest with your players, you're telling them you love them. If you're not honest, then you're telling them you don't care about them. And kids pick up on that. And I think that there's a lot of truth to that. I, I, I knew it innately just because I knew that was the way you should treat people. But, you know, there's some really difficult conversations you have to have as a coach with a player telling them that they're not going to get the playing time that they feel like they should get. There's just a million scenarios out there that you have to have tough conversations. Hey, that's not a good shot. You know, that's not an easy thing to say in front of all your teammates, but you have to say it. Look, there's a lot of value you bring to the team, but that right there is not part of it. I think when you are honest with the guy, then they know that you, and then of course you have to have their back and you have to spend time with them uh, away from the court. You know, there was a legendary football coach, Grant Taft at Baylor University years and years and years ago. I heard him speak once and he said, how do you put it? He said, you know, you every time a kid walks into your office, you can't be asking them, you know, how much did you bench press today? You know, you have to also be, be honest with them and let them know that you love them as a person. And you can talk to them about their parents or their girlfriend or whatever it is that's going on in their life and that they know that you care about them as a person. I think that, you know, those, it's kind of a long answer, but it's saying that you need to be honest with kids and maybe in no particular order, but you need to be honest with kids. And then the other thing is that you have to care about them as a person, you know, not just as a player. If you just care about them as a player, then they're going to see through that and they're going to know that basically you're using them. There's plenty of that going around, but it's just not somebody that I wanted to be. Yeah, that's awesome. So players, also guys that work alongside of you or work for you, you know, you've had so many great assistant coaches that have worked for you. I love following you on social media. You know, I, I, I see you tweeting about, you know, Jeff Dunlop who worked for you, former assistant. His son goes to play in college. You're tweeting about him signing. You know, obviously we know Larry Farmer, guys like Bakari Alexander, so forth. Cornell Mann, obviously new head coach at Grand Valley. But as much as the players love you, your assistants truly adore you. Talk, why do guys love working for you? My general philosophy there, you know, I don't, I'm not trying to get anybody to like me or to love me. I think that it really truly is probably as simple as the golden rule. Treat people the way you want to be treated. And I was an assistant coach, you know, once upon a time. And I've done that, you know, on more than 
one place for more than one coach. And, you know, I, there were just a few guiding principles for me uh, and still are a few guiding principles for me as a head coach when it comes to the assistant coaches. Number one, while they're with me, it is I trust you to get your job done. I'm not going to oversee it. I'm not going to step on toes. We hired you to do a job. And here's what the job description is. You know, and then different, you know, depending upon the person, it's what you're looking for as an assistant coach at that time. It may be somebody with a heavy emphasis on recruiting, or it may be somebody else with a heavy emphasis that I need that particular year or at that particular time in the program with player development. Thomas Kelly, who was out in Michigan State when I, when I hired TK, Coach Izzo had called me and talked about TK, and I needed somebody that really had a great background and had a good reputation with player development that was TK. So I think that number one that we have no office hours. Uh, um, you don't, you're not, you come in, when you come in, here's when we're going to meet, which was roughly an hour, an hour and a half before practice. We were going to meet, but we have no office hours. You come and go as you please. you got to get your job done. And here's what the job is. So number one, giving them freedom, I think, to come and go as they please and the freedom to do their job that I trust them to do, I, I think, is one thing that they probably enjoyed while they're with me. But then the other part of it is that they have dreams also. Right. You know, and, and I never took it personal when it came to an assistant coach wanting to look at another job. The only thing I ever asked of my assistant coaches is, hey, I don't want to be surprised. You know, if you are looking at another job, you know, it's, a lot of these happen around the NABC, the Final Four convention. And uh, when you get to the end of the season, I said, well, I don't want to be, I don't want to get a phone call from one of my buddies saying, hey, I hear so-and-so right. is uh, involved with whatever job. So I, I you know, I, I told him, just keep me in the loop and let me know how I can help you. And uh, we go from there and, and it works. You know, and these guys were not, everybody has different philosophies, Drew. I mean, yeah. you know, I know coaches that tell you don't hire friends, things like that. Uh, I mean, all these guys, to me, are friends. You can't be, doesn't mean things don't get hot, right. but uh, <laughs> you can't be together for as long as you're together, you know, during the course of a season and on road trips and on recruiting trips, you know, and then not, I can't imagine having somebody around me like that and then hating them. Right. You know, I, I mean, Coach Izzo and I talked about it once. I remember telling him, I said, you know, what people often don't is, is you know, we got to want to be around you too. <laughs> you know, if you're going to sit in a car for five hours on a recruiting trip, you know, you have to be around somebody that you enjoy being around. I think maybe some of those things um, came into play. And, and I was fortunate to be able to have a lot of guys that ended up being tremendous, not only tremendous at their job, but people of high character and that have become great friends. So you mentioned caring about your players, caring about your staff. I know you're creating a culture again at Quincy. And, you know, one of the ways you've, to me, always done an amazing job creating culture is, you know, placing a, a big emphasis on education. You know, your teams in past places have really thrived in the classroom. But I think you always do a great job of bringing in people, experts to talk to your team about many topics, you know, preparing them for life. Why do you think education and building the total person has been so important to you? It is important. You know, again, goes back to Coach Wooden, but I truly believe that coaches, and nobody will tell me otherwise, I still believe coaches are educators. Mm -hmm. First, you know, I do believe that one of the questions that was asked of Coach Wooden a long time ago when they 
they were talking about a particular recruiting class that he had and, and that was one of the best he had had. And they asked him that, you know, said, Coach, is this the best recruiting class you ever had? And he said, I'll let you know in about 30 years. Mm. And I knew exactly what he was talking about then, and I believe in it. You know, I, I think that it goes back to caring about your guys uh, as people. And when you stay in it as long as I've been in it, it's tough to, that's the best way to put this, it's tough to be able to have just this incredibly close relationships the rest of your life. But you absolutely want to have had an impact on your players when you've had them. And maybe, you know, down the road, they actually have learned something that they learned or have learned something and it comes out in play in their own real life. So there's a lot of real life lessons that I think sports affords the opportunity. If you're a coach slash teacher, I think that sports and no matter what sport it is, I think it can be the best classroom. And so, yeah, uh, I mean, we want to do everything we can. We just had somebody here at Quincy University. We have people talk to our guys about nutrition. We have people talk, uh, you know, um, we'll have somebody here coming up shortly that's a local banker in town. We did this when I was at Western Michigan, right. where they um, came in and, and just talked to the guys about the value of uh, money, you know, how to save money and how to balance your checkbook and how to invest financially. And now with NIL in place, maybe not so much a division two, right. but with NIL in place, I think it'll become even more important. So, uh, yeah, I don't think that these guys can get enough of this. We don't talk enough about it. I don't think they learn enough about it. I don't think the educational system, I'm getting a little deep on here, but I don't think the educational system as a whole teaches basic skills that you use every day, you know, out there and I'm using air quotes right now, but the real world. Right. And uh, I think that we can do that as coaches and teachers. So Steve Hawkins teams traditionally play a very physical style of play. <laughs> I know it was at Eastern. We used to tell coach Murph used to say, get the ice packs ready. We're playing a coach Hawk team. And he had incredible respect for you, but incredible blockouts, like almost undescribable. I know here in Michigan, everyone talks about coaches on the war drill, but you know, playing against a Steve Hawkins coach team, you almost have to experience the physicality, you know, great help defense, zero driving angles. Hawk, how do you teach physical play that is legal? Great question. First off, I mean, just to be blunt about it, we teach it by being illegal <laughs> uh, about it. So we do not call fouls mm. in practice. I, I think that's the two worst things it could be said about a basketball player, you're soft or you're selfish. Mm. You know, and, and those ought to be fighting words to any real player out there. And so we do not call a lot of fouls in practice. We teach our guys to be contact seekers instead of contact avoiders. When it comes to rebounding, I was a football guy. You know, I played football in high school. The knees went kaput, and that's a whole different story. But, you know, we do. I've, I've always loved recruiting guys that played football mm. at some point in time as well because of the contact involved in a lot of our guys when you look at the teams that have had back at Western Michigan and some here at Quincy back in the 90s and they had football in their background I love that part of the physicality their days this you know, I mean some of the things I used to say I can't say anymore right. uh, you know just the way the world is today but in some of the tactics even used but a lot of the drills that we do for rebounding a lot of the drills that we do defensively have a lot to do with contact we we even offensively, you know, when we are working out our guards and they're, 
you know, they're going in, they're driving in. I mean, there aren't too many days where they're not getting hit by a bag. Mm. You know, we're very physical with almost everything that we do. And so that they just get used to it. You know, they just get used to blowing through bags. They get used to front pivots on a blockout instead of a reverse pivot. Because if somebody's coming at you, we teach, you know, you want to be basically like a middle linebacker coming up to make a tackle. You know, and then whichever way that guy goes, you step forward into him, hit him with a forearm mm. in the chest, and then turn and go get the ball. You know, as opposed to backing up into somebody, every offensive rebounder has to have momentum. That's what makes them a great offensive rebounder. Well, by definition, if you're going to be a great defensive rebounder, you can't allow offensive rebounders to get ahead full of steam. you got to get them stopped before they get started, and you do that with your body. And then I also feel, um, we talk at length about it, but I also feel like if you do that, then you're setting the tone for your entire style of play, your entire uh, program. And so I think that it's something that's important to get across to your guys that we're, we're going to be physical when it comes to rebounding, yes, but also when it comes to defense, but also on offense and the way we post up or the way our drive. We want teams to feel us when they start watching the film and getting ready for it. And so you are what you emphasize, mm. you know, and, and you can't emphasize everything as a coach. And so we pick out a few things that we think can help us be successful, whether we're playing at home or whether we're playing on the road. And being physical and being defensive-minded is something that we feel travels well. Yeah, Murph used to call it smash-mouth basketball. God, you smashed our yeah. zone a few times. I'm just going to say, no, I've got nightmares about that zone <laughs> to this day. So yeah, here at Quincy, we actually put it in. Mm. You know, and I, we don't play a lot of zone. But if we do, it'll be that zone right there that Murph ran. Can't wait to watch. So uh, we're recording this late. And obviously, you're, the secret's out. When we were both in the Mac, I could text two people at 2.33 in the morning. I could get a response instantly from Rob Murphy and then a response instantly from you. Both late night owls, uh, you know, Coach Murphy, his, he, he loved to watch tape late in the evening. And your head coaching prep is legendary. You know, obviously, you collaborate with assistant coaches. But you've told me many times that, you know, you wanted to take the films home. And, you know, I've heard Coach Izzo talk about this, too, is, you know, watch yourself and kind of compare your notes with the assistant that has the scout. How has your process evolved or changed? You know, so many coaches are listening to this, preparing for their high school season or college season. Like, you know, what's your process in preparing for an opponent? Yeah, good question, Drew. I think that where I begin, first of all, you got to know you. You know, and when we're talking about the night owl stuff, you know, and my own lifestyle. So, uh, you know, I have a nine-year-old daughter, soon to be 10, and an 11-year-old daughter, and a 16-year-old stepson. Yeah. You know, and, and a wife that I adore. And so when practice ends, after we wrap everything up uh, up at the university, I don't dally-dally around. I hang out with the players and, uh, you know, to keep the relationship part of things going and all that. So I don't rush home, but I also don't stick around the office and do the small talk thing. Yeah. You know, I get home so that I could spend time with my family. From the time I get home at, you know, whatever it is, 6.30, 7 o'clock, it's family time until uh, everybody goes to bed. You know, we're recording this late at night. Everybody's in bed. You know, and then after I get off the phone with you or <laughs> after everybody's in bed, then I open up the laptop and I start watching film. Yeah, And it is the time that I'm probably most alert. I'm not a morning guy. The time that I am most alert is this time of night. You know, it's between probably 11 and 3, 3 to 4 o'clock in the morning. So that's 
what I work. It's worked well for me for dozens of years now. You know, and, and as it relates to the scout itself, yeah, I get the notes. You know, we have a meeting uh, when we're talking about a, an opponent, you know, whoever has the scout. We talk immediately, you know, for maybe 15, 20 minutes. You know, what are we looking for? Here's the overview. They give me the overview of what it is. And then they tell me what the best films, what the best games are to watch. And for us, that may like when we played Eastern Michigan, but when I was at Western Michigan, I mm-hmm. did not watch too many films of Eastern Michigan because you guys played zone right. and we played man, you know, so there were teams, you know, back in the day, the greatest guys in the world, and an unbelievable coach, Charlie Coles, God yeah. bless his soul, yeah. um, was one of my best friends in the league. And if Miami, if I could get my hands on Miami playing whoever it was we were getting ready to play, that's who I wanted to watch because I knew Charlie would have had a great game plan defensively for whoever it was they were going to play. And so, you know, that was another part of things. Your assistant coaches have to know the head coach, and they've got to know the way that I want to watch film. You know, one of my own podcasts I did with Saudi Washington, and Saudi said something interesting about knowing what a head coach's blind spots are, mm. you know, and, and uh, covering those blind spots. I, I thought that was a great way of putting it. And so the assistant coaches that I've had through the years, a lot of times they've been able to figure that out and they know the way that I like to watch film. And then I'd write down my own notes and then, you know, my general approach is okay, especially after you have a decent sample size is all right. You know, who are there two or three guys that are going to be taking the majority of the shots and then let's figure out a way. And then how are they getting those shots? And then let's do what we can to take away that first and then let's see if we can make the other five or six guys in the rotation beat us you know and if they do shake their hands afterwards and and say a great game but let's do what we can to make life miserable for those two or three guys that night that are used to winning games you know i didn't get to see your first quincy teams but obviously coach weitzel shared some stories about you know, what great players you had. And then obviously I've seen all your teams in the Mac. I always thought you had tremendous players. You talked about the toughness, you know, the joke around the league was like, those are hot guys. Like, you know, and obviously your staff knew the players that you wanted, but you're pretty aggressive on the recruiting front in sense of being really visible, especially in the summer, flying in, doing all that. I don't miss any of that, but <laughs> the, you know, be, being there and, and, and although I'm doing it on a different, you know, different spectrum, you know, right now trying to build a roster for Clare University, but like what, Hawk, when did you develop your own recruiting philosophy? You know, I was sort of taught it. I was really fortunate when I went to college at the University of South Alabama, I worked for a guy named Mike Hanks, and then his dad was a guy named Cheryl Hanks, and Cheryl Hanks was a legendary coach at Quincy College at that time, mm. now Quincy University. He ended up being the athletic director that hired me wow. um, here, and Mike, on his staff at South Alabama, had uh, Robert McCollum, which is who I ended up working for at Western Michigan. He's now the head coach at Florida A&M. Yeah. And then he had a guy named Silas McKinney. Silas is from Inkster, Michigan, and is the best recruiter I've ever been around in my life. Just knew people, knew how to work rooms, and was sincere about it all. And I learned a lot from him. And uh, there was another guy named Bob Hubbard. But I think that they did a great job of telling me, which I, I wish more coaches would do these days. They gave me the do's and don'ts of the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they really 
gave me the do's and don'ts. You know, it was almost an initiation of sorts, but it damn sure was an apprenticeship in the way you do things. And when it came to recruiting, there were so many things you just don't want to, you just don't want to leave any stones unturned. And for me, I think that it was a, like a lot of other things, it was just experiences. Uh, gained experiences through over the course of years that helped me get to where my philosophy ended up being as a as a recruiter. But, uh, you know, it still evolves. You know, I think you can always learn and always get better. But, you know, for me, I used to think, and, and then business world, the business world as well, I do a lot of reading and listening to things. But, uh, you know, I, I used to think, though, I used to think that recruiting was 90% sales and 10% research. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I thought that, you know what, uh, you know, and I was young and had hair and, <laughs> and was ambitious and, and all those things that you you put me in front of any kid and I can talk them into coming to my school no matter where I'm at. You know, and that's when I started off. It, it, it was it was all about sales. The more I got into the business, the more I realized where it's actually the other way around now. It's probably 90% research and 10% sales in that I could start talking, but I could spend an hour you know, talking to a kid and his parents or AU coach or high school coach about everything that we have to offer. And I'm, let's say I'm selling him a Cadillac. If I don't know that he actually wants a Volkswagen, right. you have to be able to tailor make your pitch, you know, what you're all about. And so it, it really, for me, it ended up being, okay, you got to know as much as you possibly can about your own place and what your own university and what it has to offer. Then you combine that with your own coaching philosophy and the way you're going to play. And then you look into where he fits into it all. And then after that, you really got to find out what it is that he wants. And it's different in every situation. I mean, some kids, you can ask them what they're looking for, and it'll be about playing time. Everything's about how do you see me fitting in. You talk to another one, and it's all about your business school. You know, you talk to somebody else, and it's all about the relationship he has with his parents, or excuse me, with his coaches. You know, and, and you don't know those things until you get into phone conversations. And when you start having those talks, with everybody, you know, I remember, um, and I've spoken at a few clinics on this same subject, but, you know, you get on the phone with the kid and he says, uh, and you say, you know, what are you looking for? And he said, well, you know, I've been thinking about that a lot. I was talking to my brother and, you know, he thinks that it's good for me to look into a place where I can play both guard spots, you know, and, and that's something that I want to do. And, and um, you know, and then mom, you know, I, of course she wants me to you know, the, the major means everything, you know, to me there. And I want to major in business. And, you know, what I want to do with my life afterwards is uh, open up the daycare kind of thing. You know, and then, you know, my AAU coach, you know, he, he's all about what level I'm going to be at. So I got to take that into consideration. Well, you know, so <laughs> forth and so on. Well, by the time you get to the end of the conversation, you know, you've learned, okay, the first person he mentioned was his brother, you know, and so I better make sure that I get to his brother. I need to have a conversation with his brother and bring him into the recruiting fold as well because that person means something to him. Uh, the next person he talked about was his mom and his mom's interest in education. All right, now I need to make sure that I go to our dean of education and we are able to get everything we need to get together. And then when they come in to visit, you know, we're going to take mom over and sit her down in front of, you know, and, you know but you know what? He never mentioned his dad. You know, and okay, then what's the relationship there? What's the problem there? And so forth and so on. So until you get to have those, I I would not be able to learn any of that if I just talk. If I'm doing, 
if I'm on the attack in sales the whole time, it doesn't do anybody any good. You've got to know what you're dealing with before you can uh, go into how you think you can help the young men. It's a great answer. Oof, really good. A true credit to those men that mentored you to develop that philosophy. Two things will get you going, get you out of here. Going back to the balance part with your family, and everyone knows your relationship with Coach Wooden. Actually, Coach Watson, I, I was over with Coach Watson, Perry Watson this summer, and we were talking about how we came to campus and heard Coach Wooden speak when you brought him one time to Kalamazoo. And it was an excellent speech by Coach. But like, I think that Coach Wooden was big in balance. Obviously, you have this yeah. balance with your wife and your family. How hard is it? When you come home at 6.30, to put the phone away or to concentrate fully on them. I know in the off-season, you're you're an A-plus, five-star vacation man with your family. But like, how do you do it in season to be so focused on your family? Really, really hard. Having an unbelievable wife is that's the best recruit I've ever landed uh, right there. My wife, Kelly, is, is unbelievable. I mean, she works herself at an elderly care facility and then... Um, and then she takes care of the family and she's everybody's rock really for all of us. And so that's a big part of things. The next part I think Joe is probably comes through experience also. You know, earlier on in my life, I wasn't able to balance things and it cost me. I think that as I got older and I became more efficient with my time and I didn't waste a lot of time and energy on things that I didn't need to, and then it allowed me to have more free time to devote in the direction of things that weren't and should have been important such as my family and, and the team. So I think that when you lead, you know, I do everything I can to lead an unselfish life. And when you do live for others, it's freeing in many ways. It's very liberating to be able to not think about yourself and what your needs are at that given time and actually live for somebody else. It's very liberating experience to go through. And so that makes the balance part really easy. It's work. You know, this is what I get paid to do. It's not an easy thing to do. It's, it's a tough living. It's enjoyable, but it's tough getting tougher. There's a lot of factors that come into play and uh, that make our life tougher as coaches now, but it's not something that I would, I couldn't think about doing anything else. That's for sure. Um, so I wouldn't pass it up. But then, you know, the balance part of things, there are some things that you do, you know, with your family because you have to. You know, my daughters were in volleyball. You know, not every Sunday. They just finished recently and they had games every Sunday. And there are some Sundays where it's like, my gosh, do I have to go up there and watch another volleyball game where they're barely capable of getting it over the net? But you know from experience, like it meant the world to me that my dad and my mom were at my game. Right. You know that it's an obligation to you to be at it as much as possible because you know somewhere down the road, you just, we just hear it too many times as coaches. These kids remember what their childhoods were like and you hear them say things like, well, my dad was never at my game or my mom and dad were at all. Like, you know, it meant everything to me. So I think it's just got to be a priority. And then the other part of it is there are a lot of other things I say, whether I'm enjoying whatever it is they're doing or not, at least I get to be with them. And that is always enjoyable. So maybe the volleyball game wasn't fun to watch. Yeah. But when we go out to dinner afterwards, 
it's great. Just you got to prioritize it. And I think that you've got to have a commitment to being unselfish with your own life. So Coach Hawk, I always end the podcast. What are some simple tips for young coaches? I would probably start right there. And that is if you're getting into coaching and you have any selfish thoughts at all, if you're not doing it for others, it's coaching, you're serving others. You know, you're not there to serve yourself. And there's some great lifestyle things that go in that we benefit from as coaches. You know, we get to travel to a lot of places, maybe not at the high school level, but, you know, I've been to Hawaii, you know, taking teams overseas and, and so forth and so on. So we get to do up by serving these kids and their families is what you do first and foremost. I think that that's a one tip that I would give. Another one would be I cannot emphasize enough the value of loyalty. Probably one of the biggest mistakes that I see made, you know, and it can be verbal or nonverbal communication. You know, if a kid comes and as an assistant coach, maybe there's an assistant coach out there, you know, listening to the podcast. And if you have a, a young man come up to you and say, you know, coach, why don't we play in more zone? Well, you can handle that as an assistant in one of a couple of ways. You know, there's one way of saying, you know, if you have real questions about it, feel free to talk to coach about it. But, you know, this is the way we feel like we can best win. You know, or you could tell a kid, just shut up and play. But then the worst thing you could do, you know, both of those ways, by the way, are a way of supporting your head coach. Right. But then there's another way where you just say, I don't know. I, I don't know. That's a good question, Johnny. And maybe you want to ask coach that. Well, basically what you're saying is, yeah, I feel the same way you do. And that's just a form of disloyalty. I think being loyal is a massive thing to your school, to your bosses. They're the ones that are paying your, your paycheck, whatever school you're at. I think that that's really important. And if you don't agree with the way things are going, or what you're doing, it's your choice to leave. And that would be the final thing that I would say is I went through a situation here. I mentioned Cheryl Hank, the former athletic director here at Quincy and great basketball coach in the Illinois Basketball Hall of Fame. Anyway, I was talking with Coach Hanks one day. He was retired then, but I'd gone through a situation here. It's irrelevant what it was, but he said, you know, Steve, the thing is, is that when you were an assistant coach, you had one boss, you know, and that was the head coach. I mean, that's who you answered to. When you became head coach, you thought you became boss and you didn't. And what you find out when you become head coach is that you got a bunch of bosses now. You know, the athletic director is your boss every day. Your president is also your boss. On certain days, it'll be the dean of admission when you've got a kid that you want to make sure you can get into school. On other days, it could be the dean of students because there's an issue, maybe a disciplinary uh, issue. On other days, you know, it's going to be the booster club uh, president because they need you to speak a thing. When you become head coach, you have a bunch of bosses. When you are an assistant coach, you have one. Well, when you are in any of those positions, all you can do is recommend what is best for the program. So when you're an assistant coach, you recommend what you think should happen or give recommendations to the head coach. You know, it's up to the head coach to make the decision. And then you have to carry it out the very best uh, you can. When you're a head coach and your athletic director or president or all those other people make decisions, again, all you can do is recommend they make the decision now. And then there was this caveat. You have no control over that. What you do have control over is how many of those non-decisions you are going to be a part of. And I think that that was probably as good of advice as I got a long time ago. Coach Wooden gave me a, a ton of it with other coaching stuff. In terms of young coaches, you got to take a look at where you're at. you got to take a look at who you work with and work for. You know, when I did my own podcast, Tim Miles is out San Jose State. He had a great spot at the college level. And he said, you know, the president, the athletic director, 
and the head coach, they have to be in a straight line, you know, and if you're not in a straight line, it's not going to work. And, uh, you know, my time at Western Michigan only had one athletic director, but we had six different presidents. And when things get in a university changes, you know, and the athletic directors, maybe not person as a person can change, but internally they can change. The staff can change. There's a lot of things that can change. And it's only you that have control over as coach, whether or not you're going to be a part of those non-decisions that are being made. So I, I thought that was great advice. Yeah, that's amazing, Coach. You know, if you could come to JJ right now at seven and say, JJ, here's a scholarship we'd commit right now, you know, just <laughs> so good. Well, let's sign him up. I'll be happy to be his caddy at this point in time. <laughs> that's funny. But, you know, I just, as we approach Thanksgiving here, I'm just so thankful that A, you would do this. You would spend time before your first home game. Obviously, this will be out a little bit afterwards, but hopefully we'll be celebrating a big win. But I know there's going to be many wins this season. But just again, thankful that you would help young coaches. But really, just I'm just so appreciative and thankful that you're my friend. Been a great mentor to me over the years. It was hard to compete against you because I admired you and loved you so much. So, Coach, I'm just wishing you and your team a great season. Excited to see what you will accomplish here in your second run at Quincy. Most of all, you're going to impact so many men in the community there so again thank you so much for doing this and helping young coaches Joel, you're the absolute best i love you as well my brother and and thanks for having me on i truly appreciate it it's always good to share with young people the way that people shared with me as i was coming up but i'm glad you're doing this as a service to young coaches coming up thanks coach you got it Joel. thanks bud that was a great conversation with coach steve hawkins as we just celebrated thanksgiving with our families and teams, I am beyond thankful that Coach Hawk would have this conversation with me. As you just heard, Coach Steve Hawkins is simply incredible. He's indeed a great coach, but he is such a selfless coach, selfless husband, and selfless father. I am so thankful that Coach Steve Hawkins is my friend. I am also so thankful that Quincy University hired Coach Steve Hawkins in college basketball deserves Coach Hawk back on the sidelines leading a team. I am so excited to see the impact that Coach Hawk makes on his program and the Quincy community. Thank you, Coach Steve Hawkins, for sharing your story. Subscribe, rate, and review on whatever platform that you are currently listening. Follow Tell Me Your Story Coach on Instagram at Tell Me Your Story Coach. Follow Tell Me Your Story Coach on Twitter at Coach Kevin Dro. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Kevin Mondro. Stay safe. I can't say this enough. Be you. Keep coaching. Happy holidays. And I'll see you on the next episode of the Tell Me Your Story Coach podcast.